to hear from you directly, Father God. I, I pray for our brothers and sisters around the world, Father God, and specific for on the ground church, Father God. I just pray that you are strengthening in this hour, Father God, that they will continue to advance your kingdom. Father, I pray for our brothers and sisters right now that they are being persecuted. Father God, I just pray that you continue giving them the strength that they need to be able to stand. But I pray, Father God, as you encourage us to pray, Father God, I pray for those who are persecuting them. Father God, for our enemies. I pray, my God, that you open their eyes, Father God, to see the beauty of your face, that they will be able to see, Father, that in you we have hope, we have life. Father God, give them dreams and vision, Father. Bring them to their knees, Father God, so they can cry out that you are God, the real God. Lord, the Messiah, Jesus, the Savior of the world. So, Father God, we thank you. What a privilege we have, Father God, that we can call you Abba, Father, my friend, my beloved. What a privilege we have, Father God, that we can say that we know the creator of the world, and he knows us, Father, so intimately, individually, Father God. So we thank you, Father. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. Speak to all this morning, Father God. The help is not to be just only hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word, Father God. So we love you, Jesus. We give this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
This one. 
Jesus for me, for me, only Jesus for me, for me, only
by the leading of your Holy Spirit. So we pray that we would not be a religious people, but that we would be a people, Father, who are in relationship with you. Father, trusting in you, abiding in you, for we know that apart from you we can do nothing. So may our lives, O God, bring glory and honor to your name as we are called to go forth to proclaim the good news, to be an ambassador of your kingdom, and to honor you in all that we say and do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're back through our study of walking through the Bible. So we're going to kind of bounce around, but we're opening in Genesis chapter 26, verse 17. And the first part, we're going to go through Genesis chapter 26, verse 17, through chapter 27, verse 46. And we've begun this study a few months ago at the beginning of the year, been more than a few, okay. in hopes to really encourage us to know our God, to know our God, to live for Him, to honor Him. We understand that as we open up God's Word, we can see from the beginning to the end that God has a purpose. And that purpose is to have a people that He will call His own, and in return they will call Him their God. And you see that all throughout Scripture. We understand, too, that when we opened up the book of Genesis, that the cross wasn't an afterthought. No, the cross was purpose even before Adam and Eve were created. God's love being displayed through Christ. And so as we're going through the Old Testament, I want us to remember that when God spoke to Adam and Eve and said, there will come one who will crush your head of the serpent, when he spoke to the serpent. Jesus Christ fulfilled that. And all through the Old Testament, as we are seeing that God has set apart the Israelites as his own, if you would. The Messiah is going to come through this race of people. And yet, as we are in the New Testament as well, because we're heading to Matthew, we're going to see that it's those who say they know God really do not know God, because when the Messiah does show up, they don't recognize him. They have a knowledge of God, but they did not know God. And they kept questioning Jesus, questioning his, his, his lordship, questioning him, instead of understanding truly who he is. And ultimately we know that Jesus fulfills the purpose of God. He was obedient to what the Father had planned. Jesus died was resurrected, is ascended into heaven, he's at the right hand of the throne of God. Victory, wholeness, a people now who are set apart, truly his, marked and sealed 
until the day of redemption, until his return. And so it's our encouragement as we're opening up the word that daily that we would recognize this as Christians, as, as people who are claiming that Jesus is their Lord and Savior. And we have the living word of God that we open up and it can be encouraged by, that we can learn from those who have gone before us. That's why I loved it when we were studying Abraham. Abraham lived a righteous life in the midst of a civilization, of a culture that was so ungodly. And yet, he was known for his relationship with God. And I said, God, let that be said about us. That yet though our culture is godless, that doesn't mean we are to be godless. That doesn't mean we're to be weak. Doesn't mean that we apologize for our Savior and for his message. No. That just as Abraham did, so can we live a godly life in the midst of godlessness. That we can walk upright in a wicked and crooked, perverse land. That we do not have to go their way because we've already went that way and we've already laid down that old way because we were all once there. See, as believers, we know that we're not going to be perfected until we are with him, but it doesn't give us the license and the right to continue to remain enslaved to ourselves, to sin. No, we are called to mature, we're called to grow daily. And this is something I challenge all of us with, because I challenge myself with the same message every day. Grow up, Rob. Mature in Christ. I'm not going to be completed till I'm with him, but until then, I don't want to remain and make excuses and trample his blood underneath my feet as if it's common. No, like he's God. He is who I'm submitted to now. Not by force, but by choice. See, because God was pleased to reveal himself to us through his son Jesus. To reconcile us back to him. So we're not to continue to partake of the things of what we once partook of. Remember, we're to consider ourselves dead but alive in Christ. And so what does that look like for you? What does that look like for me? Jesus is our example. Jesus is our example. And I love the fact that he didn't just abandon us when he left, but that he gave us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, our guide, our comforter, our teacher, within us. So as the Bible teaches us, we recognize that we are without excuse. Like we have everything we need to live a godly life. And that's what I want to encourage us all of us in every single day of your life. Remember that. No matter what you're dealing with, no matter what you're plagued with, no matter what's happening, He's still God. And are we calling upon Him? Do we see Him as such? He, like I've always said to you all, He can't be God now and then we get the bad call. We can, he can't be God now, and oh, praise God, praise God, and then all of a sudden, you know, your circumstances unravel. No, he's God. And we can be sure of that. And in that, we can cling to him. 
knowing that he is for us and not against us. Like I think I was saying on Friday night that challenging us, that before we go, you know, exalting our circumstances, no, we ought to exalt our God first, you know, that he's God. And I challenged us, I don't know when it was, last Sunday, to see him as such. Like, he was God when he turned the water to wine in the midst of a huge wedding celebration. It's good times. And he's still God when he was asleep on the boat, when the waves were pounding up against the boat and the disciples were in such fear of dying. He's God highest of the mountaintops to the lowest of the valleys. He's God. And we as his people need to start finding comfort in that. Because as the world is growing darker and darker, we're to be growing brighter and brighter. That's why it's not time to fret of what's going on out there. No, it's time to fan the flame and say, God, use me. How can I serve you in them? today. That should be our prayer. Because our lives are to be like Jesus. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to serve. So many times we're fighting for our rights to things. But remember, dead men and dead women have no rights. See, the right you have is to love your Lord, your God, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, with all of your strength. Trust Him. Like he will make a way. He will make a way. And I know a lot of us are maybe holding on to promises that we, that we truly believe that God has spoken. I know there's been seasons in our lives where we held on to God's word and, and God, I'm believing. But I want to encourage us. Don't meddle. Don't put your hands where they don't belong there's consequences to your actions there's consequences to your actions you will delay the blessing of God because of your meddling doesn't mean that God won't bring it about oh but it'll be a lot tougher if we will just learn to stop putting our hands into situations that are beyond our control if we would stop getting such thoughts to try to figure things out and really start trusting in God. We would spare ourselves a lot of chaos in our own mind and heart. Like trusting God, honoring God, keep your hands out of it, trusting. You see, we're going to read about Rebecca today. <clears throat> Before we get to Rebecca, we're going to kind of see where Isaac is at. Because we left Isaac in verse 16 of chapter 26. That Abimelech ordered Isaac to leave the country. Go somewhere else, he said, for you have become too powerful for us. Remember Isaac and his wife Rebecca. They had Jacob and Esau, the twins, who were fighting in the womb. Well, do you remember... When the, when the twins were in her womb, God told her that within you are two great nations. Yeah. And you remember what he told her too. Your older son will serve the younger son. 
And that totally goes against the custom of the day. But that was something for 40 years Rebecca held on to. Rebecca held on to what God spoke. And she reacted. Similar to what Sarah did. God spoke. He didn't move in the right time. So Sarah decided, hey, Abraham, sleep with my maidservant. And see all that chaos that it brought about. So we'll see it today It's in our reading. At the time where the blessing to the right to rule, the authority to be given to the older son, Rebecca moves in and, did, and comes up with this plan. We'll force God's promise to come about this way. And it causes chaos. The two brothers, Esau begins to really hate his brother. He desires to kill him. And Rebecca will never see Jacob again, the very one that she loved, because he has to leave. Now, ultimately, God's purpose and plan did come about. But sometimes, at least I do, sometimes I sit back and go, man, if she would have just waited, what would it have looked like? And that's my hope as we're reading through this portion of Scripture today, is that we won't meddle, <laughs> that we will wait, that we won't continue just to cause chaos up within our families, within our circumstances, because we're putting our hands to it. You know, if God calls you to put your hand to it, then that's different. Do. Be obedient. But a lot of times, where we find ourselves is God's not moving fast enough for us. So we try to figure things out. But trust me, and as you'll see all through here, when people meddled into what God was purposing, it caused more of an issue. But we find Isaac here. Abimelech has already ordered him to leave. What, where are we? Oh, I'm sorry, chapter 26, 17. Genesis, verse 17. So Isaac moved away <clears throat> to Ger Valley, where he set up their tents and settled down. He reopened the wells his father had dug, which the Philistines had filled in after Abraham's death. Isaac also restored the names Abraham had given them. Isaac's servants also dug in the Gerar Valley and discovered a well of fresh water. But the shepherds from Gerar came and claimed the spring. This is our water, they said, and they argued over it with Isaac's herdsmen. So Isaac named the well Eska, which means argument. Isaac's men then dug another well, but again there was a dispute over it, so Isaac named it Sihna, which means hostility. Abandoning that one, Isaac moved on and dug another well. This time there was no dispute over it, so Isaac named the well Rehoboth, which means open space. For he said, at least the Lord has created enough space for us to prosper in this land. From there, Isaac moved to Beersheba. Beersheba, where the Lord appeared to him on the night of his arrival. I am the God of your father Abraham, he said. Do not be afraid, 
For I am with you and will bless you. I will multiply your descendants and they will become a great nation. I will do this because of my promise to Abraham, my servant. Then Isaac built an altar there and worshiped the Lord. He set up his camp at that place and his servants dug another well. As we saw in Abraham's life, we see the same here in Isaac's life. Like they lived honorably in the foreign land. And we're just foreigners passing through this land. And we too should learn that. Isaac, though there was some dispute, but he didn't fight for what he thought was his. He moved on. And again, yet though there was some resistance, he moved on. Until he finally came to the place. And in coming to that place, God met him there. And God reminded him who I am and what I promised. You see, God's plan is coming to pass. From the beginning to the end, God's plan has been set. And what we understand about God is he's faithful to his word. What he has purposed to bring about, it's coming about. Like nothing's going to deter it, nothing's going to stop it. His plan. But I love the fact that we see this about Isaac's life. And I hope that we can kind of walk away today and kind of be encouraged by it. Like so many times we will find resistance. So many times there were times where, you know, you're thinking one thing, but other people are pushing up against you. I would encourage us. Don't fight for something that's not God's timing for your life. Don't try to, again, get involved. He could have. This is my father's wells. He could have staked his, his, his name on it and fought for it. But it wasn't the right time to. And he knew that. And that didn't make him a weak man. No, it made him a man with confidence in the God in whom his father taught him about. And in that, he had this encounter with God. And did you see how he responded? He worshipped him. He worshipped him. And look at that. Then Isaac built an altar there and worshipped the Lord. He set up his camp at that place and his servants dug another well. Worship. Obedience will always lead to worshiping. And I've encouraged you when we opened up our study, if, if you're lacking in, 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 in your worship, if you're feeling your worship is kind of just dry and stale, then you're lacking in obedience. Because obedience will always lead to genuine and pure worship to God. I just want to encourage you in that. See, don't blame God, don't blame others, don't blame this, don't blame that. No, look, you have to, we have to look at ourselves. I have to look at myself. Like if there's things lacking in me, then I need to be able to recognize that 
And don't wallow around in self-pity and condemnation and shame and guilt, that vicious cycle of self. No, like recognize it for what it is. And humble yourselves before God. Be poor in spirit. Seeing your need for a Savior. Allow the Holy Spirit to bring conviction. Throw off the sin that so, so easily entangles you. Take thoughts captive and bring them to the obedience of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Too many times you just allow thoughts to run. But we need to apply the Word of God. We need to obey the instructions in which we've been given. To allow the Holy Spirit to, 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 to teach us, to comfort us, to guide us on this journey that we're on now. Because we've been born again, we've been born of a new nature. We know our old nature. We know the way in which we will do and the way in which we will go. But that's not who we're to be. It's the newness in Christ. And we must mature and grow in that. I just want to point that out again because we haven't talked about that in a while. Like if you're lacking in your worship, your worship has become dry and just kind of a, oh, then you're lacking in your obedience. And seek the Lord. Ask Him. You know, I've, I've challenged this before. If you're, if you're lacking something, ask Him. God, I'm just don't, I'm, I'm lacking in, in, in serving others, loving others, whatever it may be. My God, help me. Show me what it is. And I promise you, what I've learned in life and what I see through Scripture is that as we obey, so then we worship. A genuine worship, a heartfelt worship. So, here we see Isaac at a place now where he needs to be. And the very one who threw him out is coming to visit him. Remember, Abimelech told him to leave, that you're becoming too powerful for us. So the godless king, the godless nation, forced Isaac to move on. But one day, King Abimelech came from Ur with his advisors, his army commander. Why have you come here, Isaac asked. You obviously hate me since you kicked me off your land. And they replied, we can plainly see that the Lord is with you. So we want to enter into a sworn treaty with you. Let's make a covenant. Swear that you will not harm us, just as we have never troubled you. We have always treated you well, and we sent you away from us in peace. And now look how the Lord has blessed you. So Isaac prepared a covenant feast to celebrate the treaty. And they ate and drank together. Early the next morning, they, ate, um, they each took a solemn oath not to interfere with each other. And then Isaac sent them home again, and they left him in peace. That very day, Isaac's servants came and told him about a new well they had dug. We found water, they exclaimed. So Isaac named the well Sheba, which means oath. And to this day, the town that grew up, I'm sorry, and to this day, the town that grew up there is called Beersheba, which means well of the oath. At the age of 40, the other brother, remember, Esau married two Hittite wives. Judith, the daughter of Beeri, and Basemuth, the daughter of Elam. 
both Esau's wives made life miserable for Isaac and Rebekah. So this king comes. We saw the same thing with Abraham, if you remember. This king comes. We want peace with you. This godless king. And yet, though godless, recognizes the God in whom Isaac serves. Recognizes that it's not Isaac who's done this for himself, but the Lord, the God in whom Isaac serves and belongs to, is doing it for him. So the question for us today is how do others see you and your relationship with your God in whom you claim you serve? Think about that. And we've talked about it before, and we'll see it as we'll continue to go through the Old Testament. These godless nations, these godless kings, didn't fear God's people. They feared God, and yet they wouldn't turn to him. They would acknowledge him, but they would not serve him. But they saw and they, and, and they testified of what the Israelites' God was doing for, their, for his people, and yet they would not come to a place to serve him. King Abimelech saw that Isaac and his clan were prospering. And in that, they knew it's going to make a covenant with him. Because if we make a covenant with him, we know that he will be a man of his word. Because of the God that he serves, he will not be able to break this covenant. You see, he lived an honorable life in the midst of godlessness that even the wicked knew that he would be a man that would keep his word because of his relationship with his God. Oaths were very important. Covenants were, were very important back in the days. Your word meant something. But they came to him for one reason, one reason only, peace. He's growing in numbers. God, his God is prospering him. Let's remind him, listen, we sent you away in peace. We didn't harm you. You know, he's trying, this king's trying to get, you know, the upper hand in all of this. Let's secure what we have by maintaining peace with him. Oh, let the wicked be able to see the God in whom we say we serve through our lives. Through our lives. How can they see the God in whom we say we serve if we're no different than them. Living lives that look just like them. Living lives that just, you know, gossip, complain, bound by perversion, you name it, running amok. And somehow we want to tell them about our God. Somehow we want to go and, 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 and tell them that they should come and, and know our God and they say well there's no different in what you're doing than I'm doing so 
What has your God done for you? So many times we turn to their gods and hope to find understanding. And yet, we want to bless our God. And we mock our God when we do that. See, if we don't honor him, if, if we don't honor the blood that was shed for us, if we just treat it common and stomp all over it and just splash it up on everyone, then what value is there? Oh no, it's time for the church to know her identity in this generation. It's time that you as a Christian know your identity in Christ and how you're called to live a life that honors him. And in so doing that, others will see. See, it's not about drawing people to you. It's about drawing people to him. To him. Like our lives and everything you say and do, do it for the glory of God. So we throw off that, that old nature. You know, we're maturing, we're growing, we're, we're getting up and we're moving on. We're, we're to be persevering because we know that trials are going to come, but they're there to build us up, not to tear us down. We know that the weapon will be forged against us, but what we really know is that it shall not prosper against us. We encourage ourselves in the knowledge of, of our God and who He is that others may see that others may see and know that he is God. Chapter 27. Oh, well, before we even get to 27, we can't miss the little, short little mention of Esau. Esau marries foreign women. Wrong, Esau. It's not the way to go. The difference already we see in the two brothers. Well, not yet. We'll see Jacob in a minute. But the difference that we see from Isaac the father to Esau the son. Isaac was an honorable man. And yet his offspring has chosen to go a different way. He brings in two foreign women. And did you see what it says here? Esau's wives made life miserable for Isaac and Rebekah. See, when we go and we, and we choose to go our way, nothing good can come from it. We already know this. The flesh only knows one thing, and that's to die. The flesh will always lead you on your path and on your way to destruction to misery, to chaos, to barrenness. The flesh is enticed by the enemy and the world and itself. Nothing good can come from it. And Esau chose his way by taking on two foreign women that we, we, we have seen and we will see as we continue to go through that there are seasons in the lives of God's people where, okay, they're all in it for God. And then the next season, they're all away from God. They're, they're intermarrying. They're, they're, they're taking on other idols. They're, they're doing things their own way. And God has to rein them back in. 
bringing them back in. Esau chose his way. And he's making life miserable. Same with us. When you choose to go your way, to do it in your strength, to go about it the ways of the world and the ways of the flesh and the ways of the enemy, don't expect anything good to come by it, even if you slap Jesus' name on it. Because there's a lot of people doing a lot of things they ought not to be doing, and they're slapping God's name to it. Careful. If it doesn't honor God, if it doesn't line up with His Word, you shouldn't be doing it. Nothing good is going to come from it. Nothing good. So one day when Isaac was old and turning blind, he called for Esau, his older son, and said, My son. Yes, father, Esau replied. I am an old man now, Isaac said, and I don't know when, my, when, I, when I may die. Take your bow and a quiver full of arrows and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare my favorite dish and bring it here for me to eat. Then I will pronounce the blessing that belongs to you, my firstborn son, before I die. This blessing, if you would, this right to rule, like I'm going to pass on everything I have to you. But remember, though it was the custom of that day for the firstborn to receive that, and that's not what God purposed. And listen to who's listening to this, Rebecca. But Rebecca overheard what Isaac had said to his son Esau. So when Esau left to hunt for the wild game, she said to her son Jacob, Listen, I overheard your father say to Esau, Bring me some wild game and prepare me a delicious meal. Then I will bless you in the Lord's presence before I die. Now my son, listen to me. Do exactly as I tell you. Go out into the, flo go out into the flocks and bring me two fine young goats. I'll use them to prepare your father's favorite dish. Then take the food to your father so he can eat it and bless you before he dies. But look, Jacob replied to Rebekah, my brother Esau is a hairy man and my skin is smooth. What if my father touches me? He'll say that I'm trying to trick him and then he'll curse me instead of blessing me. But his mother replied, then let the curse fall on me, my son. Just do what I tell you. Go out and get the goats for me. Forty years. She held on to what God spoke to her. Your older will serve your youngest. And she is overheard. Isaac telling Esau, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to pass everything on to you. So instead of trusting in what God has already spoke, She's meddling now. Do this. Do this. And it's very interesting to me when I think of this, this, this strong reply, if you would. I mean, this, this is really serious here. Because he says, Jacob to Rebekah, Esau's hairy, I'm smooth. If my father sees that I'm tricking him, 
he will curse me instead. Mm -hmm. And Rebecca says, I'll take the curse. Yeah. Like, I know this is to be, and I'm making this, I'm going to make this happen. Yeah. And I don't care what happens to me. And I go, wow, Rebecca. No. Like, do you realize what you're saying here? But she's desperate. She's desperate. And oh, we've all been in her shoes. There's been seasons in our lives when we've been desperate. Like, if something's not done now, should the what ifs begin to pile up? What if I don't move? What if I don't do this? What if I don't have him do this? What is this? What if Esau does get the blessing? What, what, how does this work? Well, God told me that you know, all of a sudden we start the what if games, the unknown. We become so desperate, we start making decisions. And the crazy thing is, is our decisions don't just affect us. They affect everyone around us. Everyone around us. So Jacob went out and got the young goats for his mother. Rebecca took them and prepared a delicious meal, just the way Isaac liked it. Then she took Esau's favorite clothes, which were there in the house, and gave them to her younger son, Jacob. She covered his arms and the smooth part of his neck with the skin of the young goats. Then she gave Jacob a delicious meal, including freshly baked bread. So Jacob took the food to his father. My father, he said, yes, my son, Isaac answered. Who are you? Esau or Jacob? And Jacob replied, it's Esau, your firstborn son. I've done as you told me. Here is the wild game. Now sit up and eat it so you can give me your blessing. And Isaac asked, how did you, how did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord, your God put, the Lord your God put it in my path, Jacob replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come closer so I can touch you and make sure that you, are really, that you really are Esau. So Jacob went closer to his father and Isaac touched him. The voice is Jacob's. The hands are Esau's, Isaac said. But he did not recognize Jacob because Jacob's hands felt hairy, just like Esau's. So Isaac prepared to bless Jacob. But are you really my son Esau, he asked. Yes, I am, Jacob replied. Then Isaac said, now my son, bring me the wild game. Let me eat it, and then I will give you my blessing. So Jacob took the food to his father, and Isaac ate it. He also drank the wine that Jacob served him. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please, come a little closer and kiss me, my son. So Jacob went over and kissed him. And when Isaac <coughs> caught the smell of his clothes, he was finally convinced. And he blessed his son. He said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of the outdoors, which the Lord has blessed. From the dew of heaven and the riches of, of the earth, May God always give you abundant harvest and grain, a bountiful new wine. May many nations become your servants, and may they bow down to you. May you be the master over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. All who curse you will be cursed, and all who bless you will be blessed. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and almost before Jacob had left his father, Esau returned from his hunt. 
Esau prepared a delicious meal and brought it to his father. Then he said, sit up, my father, and eat my wild game so you can give me your blessing. But Isaac asked, who are you? And Esau replied, it's your son, your firstborn Esau. Wow. Do you remember where we read before that Esau was so hungry? that he sold his birthright for a bowl of beans. I mean, think about that. Like he willingly gave up his birthright. So not only did he lose his birthright, but he's now lost the blessing. So Isaac began to tremble uncontrollably and said, Then who just served me wild game? I've already eaten it. And I blessed him just before you came. And yes, that blessing must stand. This is important because you would think, um, okay, Isaac, (laughs) just bless Esau. You meant it for him. Your custom says the firstborn is to receive the blessing. Oh, no, no, no. (laughs) Remember, once your word is spoken, it's set. There's nothing left for Esau. When Esau heard his father's words, he let out a loud and bitter cry. Oh, my father, what about me? Bless me too, he begged. But Isaac said, your brother was here and tricked me. He has taken away your blessing. And Esau exclaimed, no wonder his name is Jacob. For now he has cheated me twice. First he took my rights as the firstborn, and now he has stolen my blessing. Oh, haven't you saved even one blessing for me? And Isaac said to Esau, I have made Jacob your master. And I have declared that all of his brothers will be his servants. I have guaranteed him an abundance of grain and wine. What is left for me, what is left for me to give you, my son? And Esau pleaded, but do you have only one blessing? Oh, my father, bless me too. Then Esau broke down and wept. Finally, his father, Isaac, said to him, You will live away from the riches of the earth and away from the dew of the heaven above. You will live by your sword and you will serve your brother. But when you decide to break free, you will shake his yoke from your neck. From this time on, Esau hated Jacob. Because their father had given Jacob the blessing. And Esau began to scheme. I will soon be mourning my father's death. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Wow. Consequences. They affect everyone. Careful before you put your hands to something. Careful before you put your plan to effect. Does it line up? with God's word, if it doesn't line up to giving him glory and honor to obedience that don't partake of it but I need it to happen now and what you need to do is be patient patient we've all have been in those seasons and if we haven't the season, the season will come mm-hmm. We need something to break now. We need we need it now. But
but it's in that time of desperation, draw closer to him. Trusting. He knows the plans that he has for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. But I don't see. Walk by faith. Go. Each and every single day. Honoring him. And all that you say and do. And we can have, we all can make our excuses as to why we don't. But just know that if you get involved, you're going to make a mess out of it. And it'll keep getting messier and messier. Trusting for what God has spoken, He will bring about. Live honorably. Each and every single day, grow up and mature in your faith. But Rebecca heard, yet again, she's hearing, she's eavesdropping and listening about Esau's plan. So she went for Jacob and told him. And this must have been really hard on Rebecca. I make light of it, but I can only imagine. Like she loved her son Jacob. But because of her actions, she loses him. She'll never see him again. I can't imagine the time that went in the seasons that came of a mother not having her son and whom she loved with her or near her. There's consequences. She now must send him on. She realizes, oh, your brother's going to do you in. Listen, Esau's consoling himself by plotting to kill you. So listen carefully, my son. Get ready and flee to my brother Laban and Haran. Stay there with him until your brother cools off. When he calms down and forgets what you have done to him, I will send you, I will send for you to come back. Why should I lose both of you in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I'm sick and tired of these local Hittite women. I would rather die than to see Jacob marry one of them. Mm. So she goes in to Isaac to kind of get his blessing, if you would, to send Jacob on. Meddling. Nothing good will come from it, you all. And it's funny how, yet though, yes, Jacob went along with this plan, you know, he went along with what his mother asked him to do, you know. But I sometimes wonder, like, what would he have done? He probably would have honored the blessing over Esau. It was Rebecca that knew what well, God has spoken. We don't know if Rebecca shared it with Jacob or not. But I wonder what it would have looked like. Because it sure does get messy from here. As we're going to read, it sure does start getting messy. And the same with Ishmael and Isaac. It sure did get messy. And there's still consequences in our generations and the generations to come because of those choices that were made back here. So I just want to encourage us, be careful in your meddling. Be careful in trying to get things accomplished. For what you think is right. No. Trust God. Go to Matthew. 
chapter 9. Verse 1. I know it's been a while, but if you remember the last time we met, we we left off where Jesus heals two demon-possessed men. Then the entire, remember verse 24, chapter 8, then the entire town came out to meet Jesus, and look what they did. They begged him to go away and leave them alone. Wow. Chapter 9, verse 1 through 17 is what we're doing today. So Jesus climbed into a boat and went back across the lake to his own town. Jesus left. He didn't stand there and try to, you know, convert all the people that were telling him from this town to leave. He got back in the boat and he left them. We talked about this, I believe, on Friday night. You know, Jesus even tells his disciples. Go and tell the message, share the message. But if they don't believe it, then move on. Move on. Shake the dust off your feet and move on. See, we've got to be obedient. So many times we take up camp. So many times we, we, well, you know, we stand and and we continue just to, you know, push on people. Just respect people. That's why I don't get it. When Christians are out there being a nuisance. (laughs) Respect people. They have a right to live however they want to live. Respect it. But live your life. Mm -hmm. Live your life. Honor your God. Move on to where he's leading you. Respect. Jesus climbed into a boat and went across the lake to his own town. Some people brought to him a paralyzed man on a mat. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, Be encouraged, my child. Your sins are forgiven. Oh, But some of the teachers of the religious law said to themselves, that is blasphemy. Does he think he's God? See, the men who had a knowledge of God, who knew God, did not know God. Isn't that a fault? To have the knowledge of God and yet not even be in relationship with him. To have such knowledge and yet... Don't know him. They should have known the Messiah. But they didn't. They had a knowledge. And even in that, they began to twist what they learned and what they were taught. And they puffed themselves up. And do you remember Jesus himself says to them, Your father is the devil. <laughs> Remember, Jesus warned others, don't go their way. 
Like they're leading people astray. The very ones who say they knew God didn't know him, and they, and they were leading God's people astray. The New Testament church is constantly being warned of false teachers who come in, present themselves as godly, can speak with eloquent words, and yet not even speak the truth. Careful what's being added on or taken away to make his message comfortable to people. Remember, I've warned you all constantly. If you hear a gospel that gives you the right to yourself, run from it, because it's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. These men, instead of being drawn to Jesus, they question Jesus. Careful of your questioning. Careful of doubt. Because when it creeps in, it develops a stronghold. Remember, we've talked about strongholds. When they're developed, they become areas of thought processing that you believe in that are contrary to God's truth. And as you think, so you go. So when strongholds are established, if you don't demolish them, they'll lead you astray. They'll lead you to doubting and questioning Jesus' authority careful. Remember, the Bible says don't even give the enemy a foothold. You give him a foothold, he's going to develop a stronghold. But remember, Jesus has given us the weapons of our warfare to demolish them. We're not to remain enslaved or not to remain, you know, you know, defeated. (laughs) Even when our circumstances are crazy, even when we are pressed up against, we're not going to be crushed. We have to, that's what I'm saying. We have to grow. We have to mature in our faith. We have to encourage ourselves in our faith. We got to stay in fellowship to be encouraged to continue to grow, to do life together. But careful when you allow strongholds to form and you'd allow them. I want you to think of that. It's not what so and so has done, it's not what this or that or this or that or anything else if anything has has taken you captive it's because you chose to go that way oh but turn back to God repent get up from that place Jesus is calling you back to himself what are you doing over there (laughs) that's not where you belong you belong here he reminds you that you've been engrafted, you've been adopted, you've been given the right to call him Abba. And we talked about it on Wednesday night, that picture again of him being the great shepherd. You know? That even in the presence of your enemies, he prepares a table for you. Come, come, sit. I prepared this table for you. But a lot of times, we're so overwhelmed that we want to focus on the enemy. 
but God, don't you see? The enemy is surrounding me. But child, don't you see? I've prepared a table for you. And the presence of your enemies. Come, dine with me. Fellowship with me. That's a beautiful picture. And it's a picture years ago when I was going through an intense time with struggling with anxious thoughts, with panic attacks, that the breakthrough came when I saw this picture of Jesus preparing this table for me, telling me to come dine. But so many times, so many months throughout years, I kept challenging him, why are you calling me here? Deal with the enemy. Like, I will eat comfortably when you deal with the enemy. And it wasn't until I really grasped the fact that that's how he deals with the enemy because the enemy's already defeated. Rob, he can't get to you. Let him encamp himself around you. I am God. Amen. Now, dine with me. Wow. What a beautiful picture, you all. What a beautiful picture. These men are challenging Jesus' authority. Who does he think he is? This is blasphemy. Does he think he's God? And Jesus knew what they were thinking. So he asked them, Why do you have such evil thoughts in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. Boy, this paralyzed man didn't know what he was in for that day. (laughs) His friends are taking him to Jesus. I want you to hear that. It was his friends who took him to Jesus. And it was the faith, look what it says there, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, be encouraged, my child, your sins are forgiven. Mm -hmm. Who would you bring into Jesus? (laughs) Even if you have to carry them in their broken state, in the state of being paralyzed rather that's physically spiritually emotionally whatever who are you bringing to Jesus because we ought to be bringing people to Jesus so many times we're quick to turn on people quick to say quick to do and we should have a compassion on people because Jesus does and in this This man ends up being not only spiritually healed, forgiven, but physically healed. And the man jumped up and went home. Fear swept through the crowd as they saw this happen. And they praised God for sending a man with such, I'm sorry, yes, for sending a man with such great authority. 
As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. And as we know, those back in the days, the tax collectors were the worst of the worst. And Jesus, walking by, says to him, Follow me and be my disciple. And Matthew got up and followed him, leaving his identity behind. It didn't say Matthew was like, um, well, this, no. He got up and he followed him. And we've talked about this before. When Jesus called his disciples, they went. And they stuck with him. There was something back in that culture about being called to join the inner circles of a rabbi. So to be called, that, that was a great privilege. But there had to be something about Jesus. There had to be something. Well, we know what it was. He spoke with such authority. We just saw here that people now began to, to fear God. They really didn't grasp that he was the Messiah, but they knew that there was something different about him. And Matthew got up, leaving everything behind. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home and dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disrupt, disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, Now go and learn the meaning of the scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Wow. See, Jesus knew what he was doing when he called Matthew. He knew who Matthew was in Matthew's connections. The sick. Look who Matthew invited to dinner. Sinners. Jesus knew when he called you and me whom we associate with and by changing our life transforming our life how their lives will be impacted it's beautiful y'all one day the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus and asked why don't your disciples fast like we do and the Pharisees do. And Jesus replied, Wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom. I'm sorry, do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. And no one wants to put new wine into old wineskin. For the old skins will burst from the pressure spilling the wine and ruining the skins. 
new wine is stored the new wine skins so that both are preserved these men came and asked a question why don't your disciples fast like we do and the Pharisees do they wanted to understand they're doing this religious routine so if you're holy if you're of God then why not your disciples Jesus lays it out clearly for them I'm with them now but there's going to come a day and of course these men didn't understand but we understand now what Jesus was referring to. There's going to come a day when I'll be taken away from them. Oh, and they will fast. But while I'm with them, no. And we've talked about fasting. That's a spiritual discipline that each of us should be growing in, maturing in. You know, just like everything else in our lives. These spiritual disciplines should be part of, of who you're becoming. Not allowed, don't let it be religious ritual that you do to try to twist God's arm and hand to give you something. <laughs> no. You do it with the right motives. And I love the fact here, too, he talks like, listen, basically Jesus is not coming to do away with the commandments, but he's coming to fulfill them. There will be a new covenant established. And so in that, there's going to be new vessels that are going to be filled. They're not going to be like those old wineskins. Why would you pour the new wineskin into something old that's only going to burst? No. That which is new has to go in that which is new. That's why we must be born again to receive fullness of what Jesus has for us. Let's go and close and you got um, two verses in Psalm and two verses in Proverbs, but go to Proverbs 10. I'm sorry, Psalm 10. Psalm 10. Verses 16 through 18. Psalm 10, verse 16. The Lord is king forever and ever. The godless nations will vanish from the land. Lord, you know the hopes of the helpless. Isn't that beautiful? Surely you will hear their cries and comfort them. You will bring justice to the orphans and the oppressed, so mere people can no longer terrify them. Wow. He is king forever and ever, you all. Amen. He knows our hopes. He hears our cries, you all. And he comforts us. He comforts us. Are you comforted today, you all? You ought to be. You say, Rob, but you don't know what I'm going through. 
I've shared this with you before because I've had to encourage my own self in it. We all have a sad story. But what are you focusing on? Your story or his story? Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer. I've already overcame the world. We can take comfort in that. Because we're finding our comfort in him. He will make a way. But we must trust. Trust and obey. You say, oh, that, you make it sound so simple. No, it's not. Because <laughs> you're going to be pressed up against. But you're not going to be crushed. You're going to endure. And, but we say, but we want a good message. <laughs> we want a message that makes us feel good. This is a message that should make you feel good. Because the message is Jesus. And if he chooses to keep me in a place where I need to depend upon him by bringing whatever that's needed to be brought up against me to mature me and grow me, then I trust him that he knows what's best for me. If he chooses to bring me out of it and prosper me beyond my dreams then I he's still God and I'll trust him in that because whatever he gives is still his Amen. either way I'm still blessed because he knows what's best for me and he knows what is needed to bring me to a place where I'm remaining submitted to him to bring about what he has purposed for my life because again when he called Matthew he knew who Matthew associated with. And when he has called you, he knows the impact you'll have on the lives of others around you. Trust him, you all. He knows. He is king forever and ever. God Almighty. God Almighty has called you to himself, you all, as you know him, so you'll go with him. Amen. You'll trust him. Go to Proverbs chapter 3. Verse 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then you will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. It's a great reminder on stewardship. On stewardship. Honor God with your wealth, with whatever you produce. Think about that. Honor him with your wealth, with the best parts of everything you produce. Give back to the Lord 
an insult. In that understanding, it is best to always give than to receive. And I challenge us, sow into the kingdom of God. Give back to him. Be a cheerful giver. To give any other way, it means nothing. He calls us to be a cheerful giver. So give, honor God with what he gives you. Because again, everything belongs to him. And joy. This is something I taught a long time ago about joy, but I wanted to remind us. Jesus first, placing others second, and placing yourself last. Jesus, others, you. Joy. Joy. Jesus, others, and then you. Give it all first to him, you all. Trust him. Obey. Worship your God. Honor him. Live a life. A righteous life. In a wicked and perverse generation. So that others may come to know him. That's our calling. That's our calling. And don't grow weary in doing good. For in the right time, and in the due time and season, the harvest would come. But trust him. Honor him. And don't meddle. Don't try to go your way and try to make things work the way you want them to work. I think we all could probably testify around this room of how we've made a mess of things. <laughs> so let's learn from our mistakes. Let's get up from where we are and move forward, being about our Father's business. Amen? Let me close this with a song, and I'll close this in prayer. Oh,